Hello and welcome to the Laughing Place podcast. We're recording on March 14th. So grab yourself a piece of pie and settle in for our special pie day episode, which will probably end up on uh, Circumference Day. Um, I am Fanboy. I am joined by Alex. Hello. Kyle. Hello. And we're going to talk about our day. So last night, I get a little heads up that expect big news at around noon. And so as I'm about to get to bed, I see rumblings about that they're going to start adding, uh, charging for park overnight parking at Disney World Resorts. And I go, oh, okay, so that's probably it. So we're, we're up, we're getting ready, we're looking for the story. The story comes out, everyone's happy. Well, no one's happy because no one wants to pay more for parking. But we we did our job. Then I have to take care of some business, and I get an alert on my phone from the Consumer News and Business Channel saying Disney announces major reorganization. I go, maybe that was the news. <laughs> I, I click the story, and... And it's just a headline that says, more coming. It, it says, <laughs> like, yeah, more to come. And I go... Well, I mean, this could be all sorts of things, right? I mean, sometimes reorganization means layoffs. Sometimes reorganization means, as in this case, they reorganized. Sometimes it could mean, you know, that's a big, that's a wide net. And the fact that CNBC was, like, you know, covering it meant it was going to be a big kind of deal. So then we basically spend a while, like, you know, posting it, digesting it, trying to figure out what it means. And then they decided to announce a hard-ticket event for Typhoon Lagoon. Then we spent some time trying to understand it, digesting it, getting, you know, figuring out what that means. And meanwhile, we're getting stuff from, you know, the El Capitan and Morimoto Asia and, you know, stuff that's, you know, I don't want to say it's, like, not important, but, you know, just not big news. Maybe on another day would have been a headline. But not today. <laughs> um, and then they make the bizarre, or I guess not them, but Chicago makes the out of left field announcement that they are going to include sponsored potty breaks at Disney Junior <laughs> Live Show. I think Dance you're confusing two stories. Oh, yeah. No, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, the musical, featuring music from the movie new music and as well as some lost gems and if you and can't this, see me because you can't i'm doing air quotes is this uh done by disney theatrical or is this like the jungle book show that was licensed out i don't know and i tried to find that out and no one's it doesn't it's not listed anywhere i mean there's got to be some sort of licensing situation but i don't know how involved disney uh is because, I mean, the Bedknobs and Broomsticks, for, book, for those that don't know, is based on another book. So, you know, if they arrange for the rights to the book on stage plus the rights to the music from the Sherman Brothers, which I know for a while Disney was not – didn't see much value in owning the copyright to their song. So I don't know if Disney actually owns the copyrights to the well, Bedknobs and Broomsticks music. This one is specifically called out as an adaptation of the film, which is based on the novels. Okay. So they really seem to, and you know, they they kind of go on a whole. It's it's described as, uh, you know, I mean, it tells the story of the movie, and the and then it talks about how 
you know a lot about Bob and Dick Sherman. So, question: um, mm-hmm. Is their version of Portobello Road going to be greater than or less than fifteen minutes long? Uh, that was my question. I was my other question was: Do you think they'll include Step in the Right Direction? Yeah, if they're if they're if they're saying there will be lost songs, that is like the ultimate of the lost songs. Mm-hmm. And then there's the lesser lost songs, and then there's the like true lost chords, like never in the film in in either the score or uh, or planned and cut. So we'll find out in May 2019. I know it's just around the corner. Um, it's gonna feel that way. I mean, man, March is almost over. <laughs> So, um, we're going to talk about all this and more, uh, but it's, it's almost kind of crazy, so I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to go back to what was originally going to be our, so we, we, we always kind of come up with like a podcast theme, like long before we record the show. So, you know, we never know what's going to be announced, but we try and do it like, you know, after big Disney events, we know we're going to talk about it. So like we did our expo show, we did our toy fair show. So this, this was supposed to be about the shareholder meeting. And um, so we'll start there. And, uh, you know, usually they, and sometimes they announce some things, sometimes they don't. Um, the big sort of announcement actually happened the day before where Disney is going to give a gazillion dollars to rejuvenate hospitals across the country, including, you know, setups, children's hospitals, including setups designed by Imagineering. And the first one was in Houston, which, as we know, is, you know, recovering from hurricane damage. So um, and still is if as we drove through around Houston. But they announced, uh, you know, they showed a new concept out of the ship. Looks different, but, you know, it's hard to say. Um, no new names or anything like that. Um, but, and it was really, you know, in terms of like what they talked about, we'll get into the actual meeting part in just a bit. They really talked about the film slate a lot. And we, you know, kind of tangential to this, we got two new big trailers, uh, this, you know, since we last recorded the first Mary Poppins returns. Um, what do, what do you guys, have you, did you, have you guys seen the, that trailer? Yes. I have, and, and I I've kind of feel like quite a bit of what's shown in it. Um, I don't think there's I – can't, I can't remember seeing anything new that wasn't shown at the Expo last summer. And obviously, you know, your your average person didn't get to go to the D23 Expo. But for those who were there, um, you definitely saw more of it. The score that's playing in there is some of the music that they had that orchestra play at the expo as well. So you are hearing kind of some new music in there for the first time. And I didn't, I didn't go to the expo and I mean, I no, I mean, I, mean, I went to the expo. I didn't go to that presentation. And of course I went to the expo. Um, I, I was a little confused as to how I'd feel when I actually saw something from this movie. I mean, we've seen stills, but you know, Mary Poppins has such an iconic look and feel both emotionally and visually. And, auditorially that I I was a little curious to see when they actually kind of released their and it really I mean this is just really a teaser. They did show a little bit more at the shareholder meeting. You know, is it gonna feel right? And outside of the fact that they filmed it outside, uh it really I was amazed at how much it felt like Mary Poppins. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. It, it does have, I mean, visually, it does kind of capture that. It, I will say, 
it to me it feels very far removed not only because of the like every single actor is replaced um necessarily almost. but uh, well almost yes um but the fact that they did go outdoors with the shooting and like you know cherry tree lane it kind of looks um it, it, i guess it looks too digital to me like they obviously did some things digitally to recreate it um I'm not convinced that that's all a backlog. I think they maybe built like one house or just like did a digital set enhancement for the rest. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess it just looks, it looks like a 2018 film, which I was kind of hoping that this would look like it was filmed in the sixties. And, you know, I, I debated that internally because Mary Poppins, there's not an ounce of realism in that movie, right? I mean, we, it's, it doesn't take a genius to figure out it was filmed indoors. But, and I just, I, I don't, I mean, it's hard to say because we, we don't know, is how that would feel today. You know, a 4K and all that. Would it just come across as so dated it would make the film inaccessible? Or would it bring it a sort of a nostalgic quality? It's... And I just I don't know the answer. Kyle, any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I liked it well enough. I I didn't really have strong feelings, one way or another about it. I mean, I'm not oppo- I'm not as opposed to the project that I know a lot of people were when it was first announced. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, I thought it, it interested me. I wish that they showed a little more. I'm glad that the uh, I'm Mary Poppins y'all meme is back with it i was <laughs> glad to see that the next morning when i wanted to find a mashup of that it was available to me on the youtube uh so yeah so the second trailer also tries to play off our nostalgia a little bit and this might win the hidden gem of the year award for me because i guess you know at in the office we have various news channels playing on the tv all the time and i don't know if you've noticed or not but the news cycle has been a little grading lately um and this trailer for christopher robin just seemed to melt the cynicism away from the world and i don't know if the public will accept that because everyone wants a message and activism and everything and you know i mean there's a place and time and place for that but you know it was i was actually struck by something uh ava duvernay said about Wrinkle in Time. It's like, you know, you can make message films, but that doesn't mean, you know, as she obviously did with Selma and, you know, other things, but it doesn't mean you can't have fun too. And you can't just make a movie to enjoy it. And Christopher Robin just looked like a movie that is meant to be enjoyed. You know, it almost had like a Toy Story 3 element of, you know, we get older and we lose that magic and, when that comes back, it's, you know, as a, as a boy, man, whatever, it, there's something Fan about boy. that. Yeah. I mean, there's something uh, as a, as a grown up, especially boys, I think just cause you know, we, we have sort of a weird connection, you know, we, we many times we're sort of not as in touch with our emotions as we'd like to be, but through toys, we're able to kind of escape that, box so but i don't know what do you guys think i mean i i loved it i think the weird the only part of it 
you know, obviously, it, it gave me chills, like as I as I think it's designed to do. The only part that I sort of looking back on it think is odd is that Winnie the Pooh looks like almost a hybrid between the like A.A. A. Milne style plush. Um, I'm drawing a blank because it's not A.A. A. Milne who did the illustrations. Shepard. Um, Shepard. Neil Shepard's illustrations. Not looks Neil like Shepard. Or not Neil Shepard? E, no, his name's e. not Neil. It's E something. Okay. Um, anyway, Shepard's illustrations versus the Disney animated version. And it looks like they've kind of paired the two a little bit, um, which having Jim Cummings as the voice, the visual you expect is like full on the Disneyified version. Well, it's funny because we were, you know, they send out these things with like, you know, starring Ewan McGregor and Haley Atwell and, you know, so on and so forth. And then the voice cast outside of Pooh is new. Chris O'Dowd as Tigger. Brad Garrett as Eeyore, Toby Jones as Owl, Nick Muhammad as Piglet, Peter Capaldi as Rabbit, and Sophia Okonedo as Kenga. Um, and then, you know, and Jim Cummings is Winnie the Pooh. I'm like, oh my goodness, they got Jim Cummings. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, that's kind of I mean, I'm kind of, well, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I was kind of expecting that maybe they would go with like a, even put like a, um, J.K. Rowling and do it like a 100% British cast or something like that. But, um, you know, I mean, it's I think it's just going to take a little bit of getting used to there. Um, but no, I think it looks like a really sweet film. And the concept to this, you know, we talked about it maybe even over a year ago on the podcast when it was um, on the slate. Um, but the concept I was really not a fan of, but the execution looks just right. Yeah, I mean, kind of what you're saying, I know once again, this was another one of those projects I know a lot of people seem opposed to just based on that idea. And I guess you were among those. I was always intrigued by the concept. And I think, uh, I, I mean, not not to put you down at all. I just don't know why people, it, this is exactly what it said it was going to be. So I don't know what changed other than you hear Pooh's voice and you're like, oh, crap, I like Pooh. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, in, in concept and then actually seeing things can be quite different. And, you know, I think that's really, that really speaks to the challenge of filmmaking in general. That's why we end up with some pretty terrible movies where on paper they look great and some movies where on paper it looks terrible and you're thinking, why did they remake Jumanji as a video game movie? And then, you know, everyone falls in love with it. So and I it think makes... it's because, you know, a lot of these, not necessarily in the Disney full, but, you know, a lot of these movies that they've done, they don't play up the heart, you know, like when they come back, whether it's, you know, Peter Rabbit or, you know, even Maleficent or whatever, you know, they're just, they're just there and they're kind of stale. Maleficent but... is the most boring movie I think I've seen in the past, however many years ago it came out. Five years? Yeah. Uh, did you see Pirates 5? No. Um, or into the woods. Well, I mean, into the woods so, is way more entertaining. One of the back to Pooh real quick. One of the, like recently, um, I was actually looking at at quotes from from the Disney film, and I came across kind of the ending, which was created for Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which I think is so sweet and actually really leads in very well. I mean, the 2011 Winnie the Pooh animated feature is um, is very good, and and you should definitely not count it out, but. 
what I think is kind of really cool is is the ending of The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh makes for such a fitting jump forward to this reunion. And so for those of you who don't remember, so Christopher Robin says, Pooh, promise you won't forgive me ever. And then Pooh says, oh, I won't, Christopher, I promise. Not even when I'm 100? How old shall I be then? 99, silly old bear. And then the narrator says, wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way, in their enchanted place on top of the forest, a little bear will always be waiting. And in this trailer, you know, Christopher Robin's sitting on that bench and that little bear is waiting. And like that just gives me chills. You know, I I, th- I think Pooh is one of those franchises where there's so much, you know, we got oversaturated with him in the 90s. And there was so much, I don't, I don't know how to say it's bad Pooh. I mean, there was, you know, there was... Just sort of, I don't even say bad. Not the new adventures. Those right, right. The new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Winnie there was, you know, my friends classic. Tigger and Pooh, Book of Pooh. <laughs> Pooh was everywhere. Half a Piglet's big say, movie. I love. So I really love Piglet's big movie. If there's like one non Disney animated Disney animation official um, Pooh film that like I think should be canon, it's Piglet. And the main reason is Piglet went back to the kind of um, three short stories connected as a feature. Um, so it feels very much in sync with many adventures. And the other thing is Piglet's big movie actually adapted some of the um, Milne stories that weren't part of many adventures. Um, and, and the 2011 film did the rest of them, but largely had to create their own story because pretty much everything had been done at that point. Did you guys see on Twitter this week where there was a thing where people thought Piglet was an armadillo? What? Yeah. I did not, but people always think Piglet's a girl. Right. That's very common. Like, most people, even, even, you know, those who watched it, like, as kids, think Piglet's a girl. Well, I guess maybe because he has that pink striped shirt, but I guess I've never seen 12 Angry Men. (laughs) Is, uh, Is the voice of Piglet in 12 Angry Men? Yeah. Okay, and he guest um, started in like Golden Girls on a quarterly I, basis. Yeah, I've, you know, and if you watch TCM, I mean, he was actually quite active as an actor, so you'll catch him quite often if you're just watching random old old black and white movies on TCM, and you'll also find Sterling Holloway quite often, and that is like having an out of body experience to see Sterling Holloway like actually speaking, because he sounds like himself. He sounds like the stork. He sounds like Winnie the Pooh. He sounds like Pablo the Penguin. And like it just throws you off. Um, but no, the other, like with the streaming app, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some point tonight. Um, but I'm really hoping. Maybe. Maybe. I'm really hoping that many, we can't do a podcast without talking about it. I'm really hoping <laughs> many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, or sorry, new adventures of Winnie the Pooh is on there. Because like I, my introduction to Winnie the Pooh as a kid was Welcome to Pooh Corner. But for those of you who don't remember, like in the VHS era, you could get the individual Winnie the Pooh shorts, but I don't remember ever owning any of them. Um, and so it wasn't until I think the 20th anniversary of many adventures, which came out like in the second half of the nineties that I had access to that original Walt era Pooh. And I had grown up on this very nineties version of him. And I have so much sentiment towards the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, uh, which was on right around the same time as the little mermaid TV series. And it's got the best theme song. It has I gotta amazing... get up. We gotta like... get going. Oh my gosh. Want to a friend of mine. I sing that all the time. In the I grew up with Welcome to Pooh Corner. I did as which well. Which was like a weird puppet 
Well, that that and Dumbo Circus. And yeah. My gosh, if there's any, I, I just saw a statistic the other day that kids born after um, 9/11 are now getting their driver's licenses. So if any of you kids are listening to this, Google. Google Welcome to Pooh Corner and Google Dumbo Circus because they were essentially the same thing and they were awesome and they are going to look so terrifying to you. Yeah. And then oh, look up Adventures in Wonderland just for the sake of it. Oh, well, my gosh. I was thinking about that the other day because really actually um, we haven't really talked much about Wrinkle in Time, but Wrinkle in Time, the you know, a lot of the media is making a big deal about the multicultural casting. And I was thinking back on it, and you know, obviously there was the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella um, in the end of the 90s, which like is my favorite version of Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. But before that, if I'm going back as far as I can remember to something that had a multicultural, diverse cast, it is Adventures in Wonderland, which was another like highlight of my childhood TV watching phases. Um, I actually have some VHS tapes of it that I salvaged from a blockbuster before it closed. Um, that I will never get rid of. But like, man, oh man, that had, I mean, you want to look at, um, you know, Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther and all these things. The Queen of Hearts, who was not a villain in in that show, um, was the sassiest black woman that you've ever seen. Mad Hatter was like gay as can be and always on rollerblades. No, that the White Rabbit was on rollerblades. I'm sorry, White Rabbit was on rollerblades. That's right. White Rabbit was on rollerblades. Mad Hatter was gayer than Christmas. How gay? Well, never mind. Um, Sparkly, flashy, you know. Not that I'm talking the like, the commercial Christmas. Um, it's gay. Did you know that the actor that played uh, the White Rabbit directed Good Boy? Really? That's pretty incredible. And uh, I can't remember. I mean, Caterpillar was like blue or green, but still very diverse, multicultural. And also, Alice's house was at Disney and Jim Studios, which was the coolest thing as a kid. And they had that weird Epcot video phone. Yeah, that was weird. That That was so weird. That was with the characters from that show. And the White Rabbit's an executive producer on Grace and Frankie. Um, A producer on a show called Looking. I watched that show. Oh, okay. Well, he worked on it. Um, about me. So, um, so I'm just amazed at the Walt Disney Company because I have to say that everyone who came up to speak <laughs> during this, what can sometimes be a contentious question and answer session, loved working for Disney. They didn't even have questions. They just wanted to spout off their entire resume and history with the Walt Disney Company and thank Bob for all he's done to contribute to their lives. And they did it in a way that wasn't at all staged or, you know, forced. And I believed it was completely organic and that those people were in no way put up by the Walt Disney Company. Is this, are we talking about shareholder meeting? Yes. And this yeah. Is all... You want you want to fill it in? I... Yeah. So... I, this is like the first year that in a long time that I haven't either been listening in or at the meeting. Right. So fanboy, of course, is fanboy and gets to go to these things. So he's there, and uh, yes. I'm such a lucky guy. <laughs> and I'm I'm listening. You fanboy. And I'm I'm listening to the stream, and I think. There might have been a question, one question off the. Okay, so a couple of kids' questions off the bat. Those are, those are givens, and then there's someone that comes up and um, 
she's asking or she's just thanking Bob. at first i thought it was going to take a turn at first she's like hey by the way I, I like what you're doing with the educational thing that's really cool and i thought she was going to segue but hey why can't we figure out these raises with the union and then, of course that never came it was just a thank thanks for doing what you're doing and then there's like another person after her that does the same thing and then you know no no maybe a couple like little questions maybe something about espn i don't really remember and there's another like back-to-back just a long thing about, hey, I, I really enjoy my job. I worked here and here and here and here and here. And yeah, see ya. And I'm just like, what is going on? Um, and so th then, you know, you hear Bob go, okay, I think we'll take a couple more. And at that point, only a couple of questions had actually been asked because everyone is just cast members, like I said, like seriously going on for several minutes about their, uh... <laughs> oh, we, there was one question about the Wi-Fi at Disneyland and how it sucks and how they he prefer to get magic bands instead of uh, Max Pass. So that was fun. Yeah, that was me. And then at the very, very end, there was a gadfly, the same guy that's always there uh, talking about, uh, asking about Joy Behar and uh, uh, Jamel Hill. But other than that, yeah, it was Bobby Finn acknowledged. She's just like, um, what'd he say? He's like, oh, there's not a lot of questions, mostly just praise, but I'll take it. And then, of course, right after that, it gets the the guy asking about politics again. But even like it was just, the whole thing was weird. Didn't they make a point this time? Because normally isn't doesn't he kind of do a presentation and then they do the business and then the Q&A? Whereas this time they just went straight into business and then saved the quote unquote fun stuff for later. No. So typically what he does is they start with the sizzle reel, then they conduct the business part. You know, he talks a little bit and but then conducts the business portion of the meeting and then does the fun part. Okay, yeah. At so, least I that's mean, the way he's done it for a while. He didn't I mean, really talk at all this years. time. He just kind of right. was like, hey, business. So this time they had Alan Braverman, the chief legal counsel, do the business portion of the meeting, which was different. And then he came back and did the fun, quote, quote unquote, fun part. Um, well, even the and business they started, part they started was with, weird. Instead of doing a sizzle reel at the beginning, they had coverage uh, from – because Disney – Disney owns the ABC affiliate there, and so they did coverage of like showed how they covered the hurricane. Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, so they they did that. So it was just it was just a little different. I mean, every year's a little different, and this year which was particularly short. Like it ended, like I want to say half an hour early. Yeah, no, I was gonna say everything about it seems short. Like the stockholder proposals, he basically just came up and said a few sentences, and that was it. Um, and then the Q and A felt immensely short even besides the fact that the people were just talking about weren't actually asking questions like when he said two more i'm like wow seriously that that's already the end of it so it was definitely strange and almost no news there would have been one piece of news but they released it like maybe 20 minutes before this meeting started <laughs> which i totally forgot about yeah because um, it was just been that kind of week you forgot um, that another straight white man is going to be uh, doing stuff in the Star Wars universe? What do I get? As long as it's good. Um, so, yeah, it was weird. But, and then, so I didn't know, okay, so this is getting a little, like, really dorky, but Disney business dork. As, you know, forever, uh, not forever, but for a while, the independent director, lead independent director has been Orrin oh, uh, Smith. And then, so, like, Bob goes, like, you know, I just want to 
you know, take a moment to recognize Orrin Smith, who passed away. And I was like, what? Because he was not seeking reelection because he was kind of term limited out. So I just thought that he was saying thank you, but I didn't know he passed away. So we have a new lead independent director and in Susan Arnold. And uh, I'm kind of uh, didn't see that coming. Well, the other thing that, I mean, you might not have seen coming is that normally, you know, the business part of the meeting, the, the, the first two are always givens. It's like uh, reelecting the board and certify or, you know, ratifying the appointment of PricewaterhouseCoopers. Those are always the first two. And then there's usually a couple others usually related to uh, um, uh, salaries, executive right. salaries. And then there's usually a couple shareholder things about various things usually related to politics anyway Mm -hmm. usually all four of the disney backed ones pass and the shareholder ones don't well this time Mm -hmm. all that stayed true except that one of the disney proposals actually was shot down although it's a non-binding vote right non-binding what was the advisory vote on executive compensation and um you know bob's compensation he got more money because of the fox transaction which kind of puts his, you know, because I think, you know, they're, they're paying him for a bigger organization that doesn't yet exist. So when you look at it as a percentage of, you know, income, he's he's a little out of whack. You know, maybe even some might say a lot of out of whack. So, uh, you know, it's close. What was it? It was like 46 percent. Um, um, there was a pretty, it. I think it was 52 against 40 something uh, in favor and a lot of abstentions and right. uh, I became a Disney shareholder and I didn't get my uh, proxy vote so uh, I'm just saying I, I want to recount and I well, got didn't you mine, just become a like... shareholder <laughs> yes like there's a cutoff you can't just like you know no I know I got mine I got mine well before fanboy got his and I completely forgot about it and didn't vote so you abstained you abstained <laughs> Actually, I think if you don't vote, you vote for it. You vote with the board. Yeah, I think uh, I think they just yeah they just covered it. I want to say something though, because while you guys were talking, I was completely zoned out and um, connecting, reconnecting with the Adventures in Wonderland cast. And a <laughs> um, couple interesting things. First one is John Hoffman, who played the Mad Hatter um, and then became a producer. I found another fun, weird Disney connection. Or I should don't say, you mean? Don't you mean? He played the, yeah, the Mad Hatter. That's what I said. So, um, at any rate, he, uh, there's recently a a news announcement about him. Um, And so he has left HBO for Discovery Channel. This is a fun ex-Disney-like reunion. So it says, Hoffman's appointment as exec VP of documentaries and specials marks another high-level exec move by Rich Ross, who formerly took the reins as Discovery Prexy this week. Are you um, sure this is the same John Hoffman? I'm gonna I guess that yes. How many are there? And <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Th- no, yeah, you got the wrong John Hoffman. The other thing, and this blew my mind, and I never knew this. So anybody who grew up watching Adventures in Wonderland probably also was of the era to watch the Wonderful World of Disney in the late '90s. And Alice went on to co-headline the Wonderful World of Disney hit and highly memorable film my date with the president's daughter playing the president's daughter so you know rich rush is no longer with discovery channel right i didn't this article i realized as i was reading it is from 2015 he just made this discovery but i and just it's not, it's, it's not the right I'm reconnecting. 
Oh, okay. Because well, then... you're John Hoffman's busy executive producing Grace and Frankie. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. But apparently it's not right. Okay, so uh, I just got to you know there were, there were 100 episodes of Adventures in Wonderland, and I probably saw at least half of those. And I, I believe it was like supported by a National Education Sound Association or something like that. Um, okay, we got to dig into this reorg. Okay, so not to be confused gonna... with the Sea Org. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm at is Org. it? Um, Although they just launched so, a network too, so it's kind of the same it, streaming is service. Is it OTT? Um, they've got it's on Roku got, and Apple TV. Does it use BamTech? <laughs> That's a great question. They've got Oscars advertising money, so. Um. Okay, so. I'm going to tell you right now, as a Disney fan, you probably are going like, why do I care? But I'm going to tell you why you care. Because the people who are moving around decide how you're going to get Disney, <laughs> whether it's, you know, what attractions are built, what movies are made. The leadership of the Walt Disney Company makes those decisions. So when you get to understand their career and their passions and their style, you can kind of see, read the tea leaves and figure out where the company's headed. So um, I'm going to pull up my handy dandy logo, which is ugly, but I made it and it helps me um, and talk about what's happened. So before today, there was and, and literally it is changing as we're speaking. Um, there was four divisions of the company: media networks, which was uh, which is TV, so ABC, Disney Channel, ESPN, Freeform. Formerly those, well, I'm not gonna get into the history because that's getting a little too confusing. Then uh, there was parks and resorts, which I think is fairly obvious. It's you know the parks. The resorts, Adventures by Disney, Disney Vacation Club, Disney Cruise Line. You can probably figure that one out. Studio Entertainment, which uh, was, you know, the movie studios and home video and all that. And then um, there was what they called consumer products and interactive media. So, you know, a couple of years ago it was consumer products, which was Disney stores and licensing and products and stuff like that. And then um, interactive media, which was um, – which is, um, you know, like, which is basically Disney.com, you know, internet sites and video games, both apps and console games. And then, sort of the back, there was under kind of like the nebulous side, there was like inter international and, um, um, you know, the strategy group, which kind of handled like Maker Studios at first, and you know, kind of. Is it was a more corporate division, so um, now there's four. Uh, there's still four, but they've changed. So media networks is basically the same. You're gonna still have Freeform, ABC, Disney Channel, and ESPN. Um, a couple of notable things is the advertising function of TV is being removed from the actual media networks, um, but they will they will obviously still have advertising, but they're going to be more focused on their traditional distribution methods as well as the creative and content. So ESPN will be focused on the actual sports part of it and um, 
you know, the ABC and we'll be focused on programming. Then you have studio entertainment, which is basically um, the studio, the studio and unchanged. So you're going to have, um, you know, still have your movie divisions. The only thing here that's changing is the international part is kind of being taken out the international sale. So, you know, they used to, um, you know, sell, they would go to different countries and try and sell the movies to, you know, the HBOs of whatever country and they would do that. They're not going to do that anymore, but they're still going to make the movies and do their thing. Here's where it gets a little interesting. Parks and resorts and consumer product I'm, and uh, is <laughs> parks and resorts is adding consumer products. So Bob Chapek, who leads um, the parks and resorts, came from consumer products. So now Disney Publishing and Disney Store and the licensing business, where you know they basically tell the folks at Hasbro and all that other stuff, you know, make toys, make bedding, make greeting cards. That is all under a new, well, not a new group, but a, a group called. Parks, experiences, and consumer products. Heck. Um, and it's the hub for all their, was it, their, all their characters and properties to come to life? Yeah. Like so, I'll, I'll, yeah, I want to get into a little bit of how I figured this out, but in just a minute, once we kind of get everything settled. And then they're creating a new group called Direct-to-Consumer and International. Ditka-E. Um and so what is under that? Well, you're going to have BAM tech. So the actual back end of, um, you know, this of streaming services, not just Disney's, but, you know, like the blaze and uh, WWE network, HBO, now. the Disney, Dis, the Disney digital network, which is basically, um, Disney.com. So, and the videos and all those other things they do. The so, Go network. so, Having just kind of combined with consumer products, it is now being ripped away. <laughs> Movies Anywhere is being moved from the studios to this group. ESPN Plus, the streaming service, um, the, I'm sorry, the, the over-the-top part of ESPN is under this group. The untitled Disney streaming service, the upcoming, will be under this. Disney's 30% in Hulu as well as international operations outside of parks. So, you know, international movies, international products, international partnerships, um, and we'll be in this new fourth group. Um, so, so, so media networks will still be kind of co-chaired by, well, actually, um, James Patero from consumer products a couple of weeks ago was named the new head of ESPN um, and then Ben Sherwood it will run ABC Disney Channel Freeform. And when I say Disney Channel, I mean Disney XD, Disney Junior, and all that. Uh, Bob Disney J. Peck. Channels will... Worldwide, is that what they're called? At some point. I don't know if there still are, though. Um, Parks Experiences and Consumer Products will be run by Bob J. Peck, as we mentioned. Alan Horn, probably has the least amount of changes as anybody, um, is still running um, the studios. And the, the, some of that back-end stuff is also kind of being taken off the plate, so they're going to be focused on really making movies. And then Kevin Mayer, who is the, was the chief strategy officer and was kind of behind the Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Maker Studios, Club Penguin acquisitions, will be running this new group. 
Um, so why? Uh, part of it is a couple. There's really a couple things that are coming into play. One is they're getting ready to do the streaming service, and it's been a little weird because um, there's been sort of everyone's kind of touching that, right? You have the Disney Now app, which is streaming for people that have the Disney channels. You had Disney Life, which was run by Disney Consumer Products. You had Movies Anywhere, which was diff- you know not a subscription model, but was a streaming outfit. You had the Hulu investment, which was being run out of the strategy group. And so everything was a little disparate, and it you know kind of made sense if streaming is going to be a big part to kind of decomplicate it and kind of bring it all together. It is you know now what's curious is that when it co- the streaming services themselves are getting content from other divisions. So media networks will be doing ESPN Plus, obviously, and then the streaming services are going to get content from everybody, um, including Disney Digital Network, the you know Disney Channel folks, um, the studios, Lucasfilm, obviously we know about. Um, so it's preparing for that, making it figuring out where that belonged. We kind of were all trying to figure out where that was going to live. Is it under studios? Is it under media networks and the answer as it turned out to be was this new group called Directed Consumer International. And it also gives them that sort of technical expertise is kind of combined with the actual delivery of it. Um, uh, and so by bringing BAM Tech kind of into that fold. They are also um, preparing for the 21st Century Fox acquisition. So if 21st Century or when 21st Century Fox becomes um, part of Disney, obviously media networks and studios become bigger because they're going to be making more content um, and having more channels. But then also we they will be owning parts of Sky and um, Star which are in Europe and India. So think of that as like if Disney bought Xfinity. You know, a real direct-to-consumer service where they're there you're calling their customer service which really isn't what you do if you take parks out of it isn't really what you do with disney if you have a problem with your signal with abc you don't call abc you call your cable company if you have a you know you had bad experience at the movie theater you don't call disney you call the movie theater there's someone always delivering the content to you but now disney for the first time which is kind of ironic because comcast wanted to buy disney because they wanted this is going to be dealing directly with you so you have a, this direct-to-consumer and international, which is almost like a back-end group, right? They're not really making content. Um, Agnes Chu's moving over there. She'll kind of be spearheading the Disney streaming service content, but that content's going to be coming from elsewhere, whether it's from Lucasfilm or the channels or what have you. Um, then you have media networks, which basically now just means television. Um, and you have Studios Entertainment, which means movies. And then you have this other group, Parks Experiences and Consumer Products. Now, many of us have mentioned how it's weird how, you know, obviously the parks have all these stores. And then you have Disney stores across the country and Shop Disney, which are now closer. But they were, were always, like, they would make, when a movie would come out, there'd be the Disney store shirt. And then there'd be the Disney Park shirt. And they were never the same. 
Now they brought in the the merchandise team became part of Disney Consumer Products at some point, but it um you know so it makes sense from a retail perspective because retail is such a big part of the parks. Where it gets a little weird to me is publishing and apps because those are really just and licensing because that's really just taking the delivery of products which is something that the parks are not typically used to doing so um but you know in the end what i i've been thinking about this all day is this is an organizational structure that will not be an organizational structure in 10 years this will change again but it is taking an organizational structure that is necessary as far as Disney's concerned for the people that they have at this point as well as preparing for the 21st Century Fox acquisition um, and I would presume that if the acquisition goes through and we'll see what happens with the streaming services things will evolve again I would think at some point media networks and the streaming services would somehow become a one thing because at some point ESPN Plus should really be connected to ESPN in a very meaningful corporate way, but um, th that's it. So, you know, what does it mean as a Disney fan? It's hard to tell. Um, that Bob Chapek, who runs Parks, and you know, as far as Disney fans go, is probably the most um, influential people person because he spends a lot of money to build us experiences that we're going to be dealing with for 30 years. Is now going to have more on his plate. What does he do with that? I don't know, but I think what it shows us is Disney wants to have a more direct relationship with us, you know, through consume, you know, through things like the streaming service, and um, they they're still focused on um, putting out a lot of content. There's going to be a lot more Disney content in the big sense of the word in the next three years and there has been so it's um we'll see how it all shakes out but that's that's what happened today what a time to be alive <laughs> so yeah, it was interesting to watch it un unfold um but yeah no i liked your analysis i thought it was uh good and then you mentioned like just the further how they already combined like the three different Disney apps into the Disney now. And so hopefully, you know, those will continue to get better and it'll computer continue to be easier. Just like when, when D 23 finally changed it. So you could use your Disney account to log in. That was a big moment. So, I mean, we're <laughs> right. going to have more revelations like that. Hopefully it means I don't have to have a shop Disney parks app with all capitals and a shop Disney one word, lowercase S uppercase D app. And no matter, no matter what, the one that you meant to click is not the right one. <laughs> you know, it's um. If you want to order aspirin, it's not Shop Disney. Well, if you funny. need a Mac, if you need to find out where in Walt Disney World you can buy a maxi pad, it's not, uh, it's it's uh, not Shop Disney. But if you want to know where you need to go to get a maxi pass, that's the Disneyland app. Um, you know, it's they keep talking about the ESPN app as being like, you know, it's going to be one app, right? And you're going to have um, 
you know, your sports scores, you know, what, what most people probably use ESPN for. And then you'll have the radio and podcasts, and then you'll have the TV channels for those that are subscribed, and then you'll have this extra service that you can add on all within one app. And then I was thinking about that from, like, a Disney perspective. I was like, they're never going to get there because, like, they're all over the place, right? You know, Disney now is – was, you know, especially as it launched, subpar and – but then I also had my movies app, which had. Nothing well, I mean, it doesn't have it doesn't have the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. It doesn't have adventures in Wonderland. What is the point? <laughs> so, I'm hoping that, you know, it, it kind of integrates things a little bit better. But you know, if if Disney ends up owning the majority of Hulu, that that directed consumer business could be big. And we're already covering it. Like Disney owns the majority of Hulu. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're trying to kind of segue our way into it. Um, and since, you know, Fox is a little harder because it's, um, you know, there, there's, a, first of all, there's a lot. But you're also kind of getting, they're, they're not quite as close yet. But at least Hulu, that we have a connection. <laughs> but it's, um, it's something. Where does Lifetime um, fall? So Lifetime is an equity investment. And so it falls under media networks from like a reporting standpoint, but Disney doesn't like actively manage it. It's part of A&E Networks, whose head just left to become head of Vice. But which they also have an investment in, don't they? Yep. And there was even talk that Disney was going to look at buy Vice, at buying Vice, and thank goodness they didn't because that would have ended up being a nightmare in the considering all the issues they've had. Um. So that's the structure, but we've had some some real news. So let's so speaking of streaming service, that's we not got real word. News. Well, I mean it's, it's more, not more sexy news. Later news. The we're getting a Star Wars television series directed by future Disney legend or created by future Disney legend John Favreau. Woohoo! Who. I like, there's like a certain group of people who are like in every Disney franchise and I consider them like I could consider it's like the Disney version of an egot mm-hmm. like if you if you have a Disney credit Marvel credit Star Wars credit like you deserve like the king of all franchise award you at least deserve like a knight in the castle suite because I mean take Rudy somehow <laughs> He wasn't Rudy, but yes. <laughs> no, but, you know, he could have been. Um, Mike. Somehow, somehow directed one of the most popular Disney live-action movies of all time, created the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in a manner of speaking, and is now going to bring Star Wars to television. Or, yeah. To streaming, to, to streaming television. Yeah. This man is a lock as a Disney legend. And he brought and... back Fantasound. He brought, well, and that's the thing. I remember, so they did a thing at the El Cap, maybe six months or four months before Jungle Book came out, and like we weren't allowed to talk about it. But it was John Favreau talking about making the Jungle Book, and they showed us some like you know, in progress stuff because they really, I think they were a little concerned that like, we didn't know what kind of movie it was, and he starts talking about Walt Disney. And, you know, the big five of, of Snow White, Dumbo, Fantasia, Bambi, and Pinocchio. And, and talks about the nine old men and Fantasound. And I'm going, 
like not scripted. Like he's just there talking. Like you ask him questions and he's rattling this stuff off. And he's he's quoting he's he's name dropping Wooly Reitherman to right. you in, in casual conversation. Like, I mean I mean, I, I know who Willie Reitherman is. Everyone on this podcast knows who Willie Reitherman is. Many people listening probably know who Willie Reitherman is, but do not think he's a household name. As well, he should he should be, but he's not. And you're going like, dang, you're the real deal, man. And then when you see the movie and you see his subtle nods to the legacy of Disney animation that he put into that film, you go, this guy is a Disney fan. I mean, you know, he knew he wanted to make the Magic Kingdom movie. And you go, but, you know, many people want to get in the Disney world and don't really have the street cred for it. But I am, I'm happy that... Happy hands. I'm, I am happy that John Favreau, who studies, is, is, is a Disney fan of legitimate credit, um is gonna tackle Star Wars. And I, I know he's getting flack for being, you know, a straight white guy, but that's not his fault. He can't help and, it. <laughs> and um at least he's not like, you know, hundred and eighty pounds. Do you think like, he it's pitched... not your fault that you're so gap toothed. Do you think he pitched it as a Cowboys and Alien series and they're like, well let's just do Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's like, yes, let's bring that back. How funny would it be if Dave Filoni, or like the main character is inspired by Dave Filoni, who is like a cowboy that makes animated aliens. And wasn't wasn't Han Solo in that movie? Meaning, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. Harrison Ford was in in that. I, I think uh, I only know that because I was at that panel at Comic Con just by accident, basically waiting. I know for it him. because I saw that film uh, in a theater. I uh, oh, you're I know, the I, one. I am the one. No, I I I'm I have become like a massive John Favreau fan for all of the reasons that you listed above. Plus, he tweeted out my article about Fan of Sound when Jungle Book came out, and Jungle Book is still, I think, the best um, Disney animated property adapted to a live action treatment, quote unquote live action. But um, I mean, there's none none better. And, and I gotta say, essentially, as far as I'm concerned. He legitimized that trend because we had Maleficent, which just felt like them trying to do Wicked. And then well, they I mean, had... had Alice in Wonderland and Maleficent. And then going back even further, you had the 90s treatment of of Jungle Book, which was more like Rudyard Kipling. And you had 101 Dalmatians. No, no. But I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, the recent... So even in the recent wave, though, you had you had really kind of a Tim Burton-ized corner on the market because obviously the Alice in Wonderland uh, film is his, and then Maleficent to me felt very much like inspired by his style, both in terms of visuals and storytelling. And then he had Cinderella, which I just felt wasn't quite there. But that came out um, after. Oh, that came out after Jungle Book. Yeah, but, Cinderella okay, was after <laughs> after Jungle Book, but but no, I mean it's like. Like Cinderella, but, I've I've come to appreciate it more in in retrospect after having to watch it like for for the DVD review and stuff. But um, you know, it's it's just it doesn't take any risks or do anything bold or daring. Whereas you know his his adaptation of the Jungle Book harkens back to the original Disney film and the Kip- Kipling treatment, but also is its own thing and and you know, tells its own story. I'm really excited to see what he does with Flying King. I, I, I feel like 
that is not in it, but I think that'll be okay. I feel like he is the, by him being just more faithful to what the property needed to be in Jungle Book, it allowed Beauty and the Beast to be what Beauty and the Beast was. Because if you, if you, when you talk, you know, watch bonus features or whatnot, you hear about how originally they didn't want it to be a full fledged musical. And, you know, they wanted it to be almost like Cinderella, you know, and just kind of that vein. But I feel like once they found success with Jungle Book, it opened up the doors to not just making, I would say, carbon copies, like where it's not quite. You know, it doesn't quite have the same dy- dynamic. It just felt bland, I guess. You know, and I really feel like that opened that door. Obviously, it opened the door for the Lion King, which we're excited about, based off of the expo footage. So I, uh, uh, you know, I, I really think he. I mean, if you look at how he changed the Walt Disney Company, I mean, you know, if if Iron Man wasn't successful, and obviously there's plenty of people that, in any of these movies, there's lots of people involved. But if Iron Man wasn't successful, they Disney wouldn't have bought Marvel, theoretically, right? And then, you know, obviously Jungle Book revived that whole, you know, I mean, not, not only just being one of the most popular Disney movies of all time, but kind of reinvigorated that whole Disney nostalgia component to it. And now, you know, having the most high-profile series on the disney streaming service as far as i can tell um he is he's had an impact yeah definitely um quick correction uh cinderella came out in march of 2015 and jungle book came out april 2016 whoa i am right i am right my memory is wrong for some reason i feel like cinderella was like right before beauty and the beast why i don't know so, um, now we got some bad news. It's now going to cost us money to park our car at once well, overnight at Disney resorts. Yes. Thank I am, at least it's overnight. Like at first I was I like, am, really? <laughs> well, here's the thing that I'm really having a hard time understanding about this. So, well, here's, here's kind of where I come from. I mean, Disney fans who have stayed at a Disneyland hotel in the past 10 years know that the Disneyland resorts charge for parking. But if you've stayed anywhere in Cal in Southern California, you know that Southern California hotels all charge for parking. So it's, it's kind of in sync with, with the area in Orlando. The only hotel that I'm aware of, actually, I can think of two. There's only two hotels I can think of that charge you for parking. And one is the Swan and Dolphin. The other is Gaylord Palms. And other than those two, I've never I, I lived in Orlando for almost five years. I never encountered a, a hotel that makes you charge to park. And the only parking issues that I'm aware of that Disney World has are from day guests coming and parking at the resorts, but then taking resort transportation to the parks and bypassing theme park parking. What I think is really almost unfair is that the parking the price to park at the resorts as a guest is more expensive than the price to park your car at a um a theme park which just seems like way out of whack and i don't i i just can't figure out what the justification for this is if anything it just seems like they're adding a lot of work for the um front desk team to kind of manage all the billing 
And uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of guests um, who don't read Laughing Place or other Disney fan sites and don't have this news and are surprised by it and angry by it on their next trip. I, I, I mean, I don't know why they're doing. I mean, I guess they're doing it to make money. I mean, there's the, there's also the school of thought that it encourages people not to rent cars, um, so you stay on property. But there's a couple of things that bug me about it. One is that depending on the style of resort you're staying at, the price for parking is different. Now, I don't know why my car, I mean, my car is not getting a higher level of service at the Grand Floridian than at the Pop Century. In fact, it's getting worse service because it's farther away from me if I self-park. Uh, so I don't understand that. I mean, it it just feels like they can afford it, so we're going to charge them more is the only thing I can think of. The other thing I, I've, I always felt like when people would talk about Disney being a cash grab, you know, like, and trying to nickel and dime you, I would always say, well, at least they don't charge you for parking. And now they're charging you for parking. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know that my perception on hotel parking in Orlando is the same as yours. Because I know at the – I mean, I don't stay off property all that much, but, um, you know, when well, does, I have – Does Universal charge you for parking? If yes, you stay Universal charges you for parking. Actually, okay, how much? Um, how I can look much? it up real quick. But I'm actually going to Orlando next week, and the off-property hotel I'm staying at charges for parking. I found okay. out. I, I looked it up. But, yeah, it was ten bu- it's 10 bucks a day. But it's not as bad as Disney. Yeah, that's where he's staying, Alex. What did you say? He's staying at the Creed Royale. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, you know, if you if you need to talk to somebody, <laughs> please call one of us. We're available. We will pick up in the middle of the night to take your call. Just, you know. You, I don't you know might what not know what you're to talking mean, about. But I'll I'm look so, anxious to finding out. For those... So we, uh, we, we, we used to live near the Creed Royale. And I would Very say cool. probably once a year, there'd be cops out there, like, you know, and tape and all this stuff. I feel like and it was good. twice a year. Okay, twice a year. And it's because someone committed suicide at that place. <laughs> and it was like, how many times does this happen at one hotel? And I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, like, they get their bill and, like, they've got all these hidden fees or if there's, like, <laughs> a shining effect. I don't know. But be careful. Call us. <laughs> okay. And we'll I, think, I think the place I said at last time in Champions Gate also charged for parking, but I don't know because I didn't have a car. <laughs> I gotta say, almost every hotel I I stay at charges for parking. That's because so you stay at nicer places. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like motels don't charge for parking generally, but like even like a, a Hampton Inn or a, the what, what's the place we stay at, the Hyatt place, they, they charge for parking. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm always well, staying at the Four Seasons. Well, you so know why another... that is, right? Why? Well, I mean, I think the advent of the um of park, paying for parking and resort fees is because everyone's shopping online for prices and comparing all these listings. So all they're paying attention to is that base rate. Right. And, and I mean, I mean, I actually do pay attention to parking cause I, I, that drives me crazy when it's like $45 for a night at a 120 where the basically per square inch, the, the car is getting charged a lot more than I am. But, um, you know, so it's not so much that it's an unheard of fee. It's just what the one thing that we got for free. 
Um, well, and so here's one of the things, because it, it really is, you know, when you think of, they used to advertise, like, what are the perks of staying on property versus off property? And this was never listed, but, you know, it was kind of, you, you figured this out. If you were there with a car, which, honestly, this probably doesn't affect more than 25% of Disney World guests who stay on property. But if you're staying there, if you have your own car, you drove down, or you um, you rented a car, you could flash the uh, little thing that says you're parking at a resort at the parks and not pay for theme park parking. They Which would tell I you believe that. is still the case. And that's still, still the case. Company. But now you're paying for parking. And to your point, you're paying different prices for parking depending on which resort you're staying at. If you're staying at Port Orleans, you can park your car awfully close to your room because um, you know they have all the, they have parking that like completely engulfs the perimeter of the resort and you're staying in one of those wings so you can park pretty close to where your room is if you're staying at the polynesian you can be parked way far away from your car um like half a mile from your car uh depending on how deep you are into that resort and so you know there's all these various scenarios and you're paying more to park there but if i as a off-property guest still want to beat that system of, of not paying for parking, I pull through the Magic Kingdom toll plaza and I tell them, oh, I'm, I'm just heading over to Polynesian for lunch. I get to Polynesia and I tell them I'm just coming to eat lunch at Captain Cook's. I hop on the monorail and I stay parked at Polynesian all day for free. Like, how is that still fair? Like, this isn't this hasn't eliminated what I perceive to be the one and only problem with resort parking. If anything, it is just, you know, upset a significant portion of your guests and for no other reason than other people do it and you'll have to pay it. It's this or don't come. I, you know, I mean, is this going to make me not go to Disney world? No, but, uh, no, but I think what it's going to do is, you know, I mean, because since the the inclusion of Harry Potter land and every year it seems like Universal does something um, pretty significant with their parks to make you know people want to come back and experience the new things and and re-experience the old um, is now I feel like it's probably more common to bundle Disney and Universal together in an Orlando trip so you're probably doing four to five days at Disney and then two one to two days at Universal so I'm curious to see what the ripple effect of that is because if, if people are discouraged from renting a car um, you know how does that how does that impact Universal or vice versa does it affect the number of days that they're going to stay at Disney um, knowing that they're paying for parking and now would rather just, you know, cut their Disney trip a little bit shorter and get over to Universal. I would well, but, well, I mean, I, the, I, I think essentially I would not be surprised if a lot of people rent cars for the sole purpose of getting to Universal. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, Disney has free transportation to the, you know, to, from the airport. They and... do. I mean, Disney has free transportation to and from pretty much anywhere on property. But the thing about it is, is depending on the size of your family and the nature of your family, mine being such that, you know, just getting people out of the door within 30 minutes of your goal is a miracle um, to then have to, like, wait for a bus and, and wrangle everybody. Again, it's so much basically having a car at Disney World is a huge convenience. Well, it is a convenience, but I think a lot of people when they look at, you know, the cost now, of it because you now you got so you to pay to rent the car. Right. So now you're paying to rent the car and then on top of that, let's say you're staying at a, a deluxe resort, every 3 days it's another $100. Right. And, right. and know, so essentially if you want to go I mean, outside of taking Uber, which is obviously a valid way to go about things, 
if no, you want to go if you want to go to Universal, it's not got a lot more expensive. Depending on the size of your family and the ages of your family, Uber is not actually that viable of an option. Like if you have kids who are car seat age, Uber is not going to help you out. Like, you know, like the kids can't ride in the Uber at that point because it's it's a normal car, right? Uh, they have have yeah. Which are like SUVs and seat like six. And I think no, I'm talking, can... I'm talking like, so you, you're bringing a car seat with you to the park and then you don't have a car to keep your car seat in. Like if you've got toddlers. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know about these things, but aren't there strollers well, that convert like, to car seats or is that just something I made up? No, there are, but they're like, they're, they're very expensive and, and, you know, just difficult to travel with and everything. So like my, my main point is like, let's say you're a family from like Georgia or Tennessee, a state that's nearby enough where you're driving down and you've got young kids, you've got your car seats, you know, this is an added expense that, that, quite frankly, I think is going to discourage some people from from the length of their stay on a Disney resort. And, and but, you know, but isn't that what they want, right? Is because if, if you're going to Universal, it's not like you're going to, you know, if you go to Universal and stay at their place, you're paying for parking anyway. So if you decide, up, hey, what's that? I said I looked up the numbers, by the way. It looks like for the I checked a couple of hotels, overnight parking at Universal is uh, 22 Day guests or day guest self parking is twenty four at hotels. And what's the so, cheapest Disney price? Thirteen, and it goes up to twenty four, twenty nine, maybe. <laughs> oh, I thought I had read thirty something. And what is it to park? Thirty three is 20? now the new uh, uh, valet. But what were we saying? Oh, okay. It's well, how much is it parks. to park at the park? Twenty two at Walt Disney World. Okay. Yeah, it just seems like I just don't understand. I just don't understand why like what it's for other than to um you know just just in unnecessarily throw an additional fee on your trip well i mean it's a, i mean if you think about it let's say you pay you're saying at pop or even a value you know and you're charge you you're essentially getting you know eight percent more you're raising your price eight percent without having to actually say you're raising your price um and then you know as a, and Kyle's exactly right. When people look at prices, they don't look at the parking price. Mm-hmm. And well, that's what I think. That's one of the things is like you know people are used to Disney not having any of these hidden fees, and so but now there will be, and that's gonna be. But you know, I don't know that I don't know that you know. Basically, I think I think it's just bad for the brand because the but... Disney brand has always been you know everything is everything's a quality product and you know you know what to expect you know what you're getting but and now i mean we know to expect this now but what i'm really concerned about is the the masses that don't don't know about this won't expect it aren't going to find out until they're they're checking in or out and then it's a problem well that's i don't know i don't know how foreign paying for parking at a hotel is to people it's foreign I mean, to people at Disney World. It's not. It's not a foreign concept to anyone who's who's you know fairly well traveled, but it's going to be a foreign concept to anybody who has been a repeat guest. It's more reason to be a DVC member. The best kept yeah. secret. So does DVC get free if parking? You're, or? If you if you you get free parking regardless of whether you use points or you or whatever. If you're staying at a DVC villa deluxe villa but otherwise if you're booking with points as a dvc member then your parking is comped 
so yeah, so if you're staying at a DVC villa, you know, quote resort, um, you get free parking no matter what if you're a member. If you're staying at one of those resorts where it's a combo, or you're staying at another Disney resort that isn't a vacation club, you have to pay for parking unless you are staying on points. All right. It's a little confusing. Uh, now, it, I wonder it if is, they'll add anything for confusing. annual pass holders if they're going to be, uh, you know, every once in a while, especially not just every once in a while, because not like all annual pass holders live in Florida, but I wonder if they'll be introducing any benefits uh, for them well, in they, this capacity. Yeah, I mean, that's another good point, because they used to. I mean, I don't, I, I obviously don't, I'm about five years outside of uh, being a, a Disney World um, local resident and and uh, close affiliate of the company, um, but the uh, I mean my my understanding was they used to always have these annual pass holder specials during the slow periods. I don't know that there's truly any slow periods anymore at Disney World, but it used to be where they were like basically offering you a really nice discount to come and spend a long weekend at Disney World, and you got a discount on your room um, as part of your vacation or part of your pass holder perks. And so, you know, I mean, if you can get free parking anyway, and now you're getting a discount at the hotel, but you have to pay to park there, like, that's, again, just another reason to discourage people from using your resorts. Especially when you get free parking at the at the, at the, uh, at the theme park. Well, yeah, and it's like, your car at, Epcot at that night. point, just leave your park. Yeah, just, just park your car at Epcot and, and walk to Yacht and Beach or whatever the, wherever you are. Cart your luggage through security. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean you could you could you could pull up and unload because it, honestly it sounds like this is only for overnight. So if you go through security, and then here's the other thing is how do they validate? Because you know they've always had that weird little um, paper that they ask you to put in your windshield, but I think they even stopped doing that once they went to Magic Bands because all that paper was really for was the guard shack or to tell the parks that you're staying on property. So if you tell them when you come in at the shack that you're just like pulling up to eat at one of their hotels, and then you tell them at the front desk you don't have a car, how do they know? I wonder if they're going to do something. I mean, I don't I don't know the answer, but like a exit gate, right? So, so like, like, I mean, if you, you know, if you, you get a, a card or something that you can open the gate if you're shopping or eating, like but then if you're, you know, if you have to use your magic band to get out otherwise, mm-hmm. but that's the only way I can think they can do it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, have the they could also just threaten that at night they're going to do sweeps through the parking lot and check license plates for who's supposed to be there so you better be honest that you're that you have a car and write down your license plate so they don't yeah but but i mean if you do mobile check in how do they know your license plate number if what like i check in on the app like you know i don't go to the front desk anymore at disney how do they have my license plate well they ask you and they can add that to the app (laughs) yeah they'd have to add to the app i mean any way they slice it there's going to be some sort of operational change well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do know, like, back in the day, I don't know if they still do this, but back in the day as a cast member, um, if you were parked where you weren't supposed to be and your car was left somewhere in third shift hours, um, they would come around and either tow you or boot you because they would run your plate, see if it matched the name of a of a cast member. And then, um, so, like, it was, it was uh, 
a known scenario that your car would be booted if you were at Contemporary overnight and uh, not staying there, not on a room reservation. So, I mean, I mean, I think we all agree that we don't, you know, we'd rather not have to pay for parking. I mean, even though it just, practically like, in my scenario, I'm not going to be paying for parking anytime soon just because we're DVC members or, you know, we don't take a car. But, um, but like you know, there are yeah. plenty of there are plenty of times, fanboy, where like we are in Orlando and we're staying at Disney. And our primary reason for being there is to be at Disney, but where we are, um, you know, going to downtown Orlando at some point during the trip. So we kind of need to have a car for at least one of the days. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. When we stay off property because we can't find a room on property, we pay for parking. When, you know, that at that Hyatt down the street that stayed at but you know if the room when they when i book a room and paying cash as opposed to points and they change say the room is 220 dollars a night versus 200 and 200 dollars a night is that going to change my decision realistically no And so, you know, they, if they, they could, there's there's a lot of elasticity in Disney resort prices. You know, you're, if you're going to stay, if you're going to pay the premium to go stay at a resort, are you, is $10, $15 a night going to really make a world of difference to you? So I, I sort of agree with that. But, um, I mean, all throughout, going for the past couple of years, they've been doing, um, you know, all these add-on experiences. That, you know, a lot of people got very upset by. And my stance was always, if it doesn't affect kind of your average guest experience and there's people willing to pay for it, then let it happen. Like, what is it? What does it hurt you if someone's renting a cabana in the middle of Tomorrowland? Um, something stupid like that. But, you know, this is something where it, I, I think it has I think it affects too many people and it doesn't in any way change your experience. Um, and the other thing is it, it's like it's like penalizing the smaller percentage of Disney World guests who do have a car, which I will say, like, it's good that the Vacation Club members, um, you know, don't have to pay it if they're staying on points. But I can think of plenty of other scenarios where where someone is, you know, staying on property, but might need to make a run to Walgreens for some in-room supplies or something like that. And they've got their own car. But now Disney's making another 20 bucks off them just by the nature of the fact that they've got a vehicle. If this was like justified by some kind of like a budgetary constraint of like, Oh, the room reservations are no longer covering parking lot refurbishments and this is how we pay for it. Then fine. But I don't think that's the case here at all. I think it's just that the industry standard is such that most hotels in the area are now charging for parking where they weren't 15 years ago. And now they're just joining the club. Yeah, and I mean, there is something to be said about this is the only Florida is the only Disney resort in the world that doesn't charge for parking. So, you know, there's there's a consistency side. Not that it makes it okay, but you can't say that this is completely unheard of. And so, but, if I mean, you're looking if you're looking to make a little there... extra money, which Disney always is, you know, and as is their duty, um, you know, this is an easy way to get it. Also, you park to pay it downtown to park at downtown Disney, but not at Disney Springs. Yeah. Who parked to pay at Downtown Disney? Yeah. Or who paid? No, I mean the the old the, the California. 
Oh, you don't though. You can like if you're just gonna be there for a couple hours. You, you have don't to buy pay. something though. You can go to Disney Springs right, and yeah, not you buy to, a darn thing. You have to validate, but, but you know it's. I mean, and it's this. I mean, that's even better than City Walk because Universal City Walk, both coasts, you have to pay for parking, no matter what. You get a little so, bit of a rebate if you go to the AMC at City Walk, <laughs> I think, but otherwise. So you know, in the end, this is only an issue because it's new. If Disney was building a resort and they charged you for parking anywhere else, we would have not we wouldn't be saying anything about it. I think the other thing too is it's you know, there's how many resorts at the how many hotels at the Disney World Resort? Like twenty something. So it's it's really the majority of their hotels are in Orlando. True. I mean but by not even a close margin. Right. But it I mean I think, I, I think the biggest thing is you go from never, ever having done something like this to now Now you're not only doing it, but it costs different depending on where you are. And, and again, it's not adding it's not adding anything to your trip. You know? well, it, it's weird. How, I mean, I agree with you. It's weird how it's tiered. But, and I got to say, though, you know, as far as paying for parking goes, these rates are not unreasonable. I mean, not even just Disney unreasonable. I mean, they're not unreasonable for any hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I pay more at nearly every hotel I've ever stayed at. So, you know, it it is what it is. I mean, you know, in places that like Grand Floridian or even, the, quite frankly, the Contemporary, oftentimes I valet anyway, just because um, when I mean, and that's a, this is completely personal. But when I stay at those resorts, it's usually for work and I need to be able to get in and get out very quickly. But um well, that's so, another good point. I mean, you you take several trips a year to the Central Florida area for non-Disney related work trips, um, and you choose to stay at the Disney resorts to use, you know, vacation club points and whatnot. Which you know, in this in this scenario, it doesn't matter. But you know, let's say look at another you know business person who's a Disney fan and makes several trips a year for conventions and things in the Orlando area. And, you know, you can get a better rate at, at a hotel that's there near the convention center, but you choose to do Disney just because, you know, you're a Disney fan and you like it. But now you're going to be penalized for having that car that you need to get back over to the yeah, convention but, center. But if you're, if you're there for a business trip, every hotel, every convention hotel in the world charges you for parking. And generally, you're not, you know, it's not coming out of But your then you might not have a car. <laughs> then you might not have a car because if you're just going to be staying at that hotel and going to that convention and you're staying within walking distance of the convention center, then it doesn't even matter. Possibly, and but, you know. If you can you know. afford to stay at a Disney hotel, even though you're just on a business trip, <laughs> then I don't know if parking's getting in the way because you're paying twice as much at least. I mean, not necessarily during the off season. And, you know, especially the Orlando convention area, there's quite a few, like, premium hotels, like, you know, they're not inexpensive. So, I mean, and and they charge a lot more for parking than Disney is when we stayed at the, whatever that is now, the Hyatt by the convention center. So, um, I mean, obviously, no, we don't like paying more, but it is what it is. There's not, you know, I don't think anyone's actually going to make a decision not to go because of this, so... Get paid less for doing the same job. And and to be to get to be fair, we have gotten, you know, through the years, more services from Disney than um, we have in the past, including complimentary Wi-Fi, Magical Express. They expanded extra magic hours. So um, 
you know, you still get more at a Disney resort, not to mention all those sort of recreation activities than you do at a non-Disney resort. So, it's... But you don't feel like the prices have gone up accordingly to match all those services? You know, we stay at a lot of non-Disney hotels, and... To I mean, me, any, the, to me, to me, Disney... to me, the value, the the high end hotels, are a good value if you're staying at that kind of hotel. When we stay at nice hotels outside of Disney, they're often the same price or more than when we stay at nice hotels at Disney World. When you start looking at something like Pop Century or All Star, then I don't think you get any value. Outside, you know, I think that cost is baked into it. So I think the more you spend, the better value you get, which, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But, I mean, relative to that, because, like, moderates are some just hotels, but, you know, they charge you regular hotel prices. So, um, you know, we still cost significantly more, you know, than don't for parking. So, you know, I don't. I mean, that's just my snapshot compared to other whole, you know, when you're looking at peer groups. Well, I mean, on that level with Grant in particular, like I actually always hear, I always hear a lot of people complain about it who are used, you know, who have stayed at things like Four Seasons and, and big luxury resorts like that. And their main complaint is that price wise, it's on that level. But in terms of amenities, it's not. The Grand Floridian is no Four Seasons, but it also doesn't cost as much as the Four Seasons. I mean, if you want to compare the Four Seasons on Disney property to the Grand Floridian, it makes it very clear. Oh, the okay. Four Seasons is expensive. And I, you know, I, I just was at a Four Seasons. And, I mean, you get great service and, you know, everything's nice. You get the fruit basket and all that. But it is, you know, does is it worth the $750 a night? Uh, I don't know. No, that's but what is what is Grand Floridian at right now? Isn't it at like six hundred a night? We spent, and I mean, I don't know what it was about four hundred. During peak during peak times, and obviously it's demand pricing. During peak times, I thought it was closer to like six hundred, seven hundred a night. And it might be. I've had friends who worked at Grand Floridian at that point either. Yeah, I mean, I've had friends who worked at the Grand Floridian and just recounted tales of being just screamed at from from guests who it was their it wasn't their first time to Disney World, but it was their first time staying there, and they've stayed at other places that cost less and and they felt were like the rooms were nicer and the amenities were higher, and they just didn't understand why it was why it was well, that and expensive. I think, I think that concern was. might be more than that is supposed to be the nicest hotel on property, hmm. and but. It's not. based on it, it didn't keep up with trends in luxury hotels so i don't know it's, it, it's not so much that it's expensive i mean it is expensive but it's not at it, i still think those high-end hotels are more expensive however it is you know when you hear grand floridian as the nicest hotel and then you say you you want to stay at the nicest hotel and you book the nicest hotel you're going to be disappointed because it is not at the level of it's not yeah, modern nice. It's like your grandma's nice. Well, I mean, I mean there's it's, it's, it's not even necessarily it's not even about the core. Yeah, like it's, it's about not... the, you don't get the level of service that you do at a Four Seasons or at a Peninsula. You know, you check in, no one escorts you to your room. No, you know, you don't get the the amenity package. 
you don't get you know some of the nicer um, touches. You know, we see at a hotel in Beverly Hills when we do junkets a lot that is, um, you know, more expensive than the Grand Floridian, but it's also in Beverly Hills, and you know, you just get there's a difference in service um, than you get at the Grand Floridian. Grand Floridian, there's not a big difference between someone checking you at the Grand Floridian and someone checking you in at Pop Century. Um, but I, th I think that's more the, I mean, that's one of the excuses they had for bringing in Four Seasons was, you know, we want to have a high-end hotel, but, you know, just the Disney structure just didn't have it in it. Mm-hmm. But, um, so... I, I want to kind of wrap up. <laughs> Did we talk about this um, bed knobs and broomsticks yet? We nope. mentioned it. Well, yeah, we did. But there's one more thing I wanted to mention. See, did anyone? Did anyone see that coming? I mean, I had after after Mary Poppins, and it's been a long time since I thought about this, but like after Mary Poppins came out as a Broadway musical. I was thinking what other what other Disney films really lend themselves to it. And they honestly, like of of the items that Disney Theatrical has adapted, they really haven't touched much of their live action catalog. And I think other than Mary Poppins, Freaky Friday is kind of the other one that they've done. Um, Medknobs and Broomsticks was definitely on my list of something that would adapt to the stage in a fun way. Um and obviously having not read the books, like I think I think bobbing along could make for a really fun uh, stage number. Um, I think you probably need to cut out the soccer match uh, <laughs> just because that's not going to translate very well. But uh, uh, there's, you know, there's certainly quite a lot of um, things that they can do with it to have a lot of fun. And um, that was uh, that was actually on my list, uh, as is, uh, you know, fanboys of my dream stage production of a goofy movie as a goofy musical. And Hocus Pocus. Well, um, Kyle. What oh, I forgot Newsies. I left out Newsies. Newsies, Newsies happened. happened. Newsies happened and was successful. Kyle. We, on this topic, have we talked about Freaky Friday at all and the weird backlash? I don't know about this backlash. So Disney Channel during Zombies released just a really quick little um, teaser of the Disney Channel adaptation of the Freaky Friday musical that Disney Theatrical um, debuted and is now licensing out for, for local theater productions. Um, and it, it was really a, a particular younger generation that took to the internet and just expressed so much disdain, um, wondering why they are remaking this film that was just made a couple years ago with Lindsay Lohan and done so well. And not knowing that the Lindsay Lohan version was the third time it had been adapted for the screen. What year did Freaky Friday come out originally? Originally, it was it was the late seventies. You're talking about the book or the movie? The the movie. The movie I want to say was like seventy seven seventy six. When was it remade? Right before Star Wars. It was then remade in I first remade I think in nineteen ninety. Three. Okay, well, I mean, forget the TV one, but the the other uh, one was two thousand three, so, so we're looking at about fifteen years ago at this point. So, and the and other version was, was nineteen ninety five, which was Disney Channel's first version of it. So it seems like every twenty years or so. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. This is this is 
this is first world problems, but I mean now it's a musical. I mean we just did Beating the Beast. I guess that's older. Well, but... and I mean the other the other thing is is each and every time they do it, it's quite a different take. Like I I was a huge fan of both the TV version with Shelley Long and the the movie with Jodie Foster um, with, as a kid, and so you know in my in my middle school years I actually read the first two of I think three books um, that the author had written uh, that kind of carried over with the characters. And the book is quite different from the Disney film, which is ironic because the author wrote the screenplay. Um, and then that version was quite different from the TV version. And even the Lindsay Lohan version, it kind of borrowed elements from all three previous treatments and then also brought in its own thing. And then the musical, I thought, did the same thing. It had elements from the original, elements from the TV version, elements from the Lindsay Lohan version, and elements from the book. Um, all peppered throughout and also was its own thing so like each time they remake it like yes it's still the same concept um the outcome is going to be the same but the the means to get there are completely different kyle what did you want to share uh i just wanted to give a point to alex because a few months ago when we were talking about the last jedi he enlightened us about a part of the film that he felt must have been inspired by star tours and um yeah. <laughs> in one of the bonus features on the digital release for the film director ryan johnson confirms that very notion oh yeah which i didn't realize was news at this point but then we posted it as news and i, I did a, a review of the digital copy and uh that's on laughing place um and i lost like five hours of sleep to do it and i'm convinced nobody has read it. but um the like when we posted that as news and everyone started like freaking out and resharing it, I was surprised because I thought at this point that was like everyone had jumped to that conclusion. I mean, that's the thing. It plays the music. Like the Millennium Falcon is flying through these crystal caverns. They're just red instead of white. And that whole moment I was like, I was like, oh, it'd be so funny if Star Tours flew by right now. Well, what's funny is, is then now you go on the Star Tours, yeah, the crate, and they, and they have that scene. Yes, it's 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 really amazing how you know that the original attraction inspired that moment in the film, and then that moment in the film went back to re-inspire the attraction. So it's come full circle. Head on over to Disneyland or Disney World or your local, your nearest Disney destination that has a Star Tour <laughs> to experience. Did you watch the music-only version yet? So I sampled it. I watched I watched it actually for about the first 10 minutes um, because there really is a ton. If you're factoring in all of the commentaries, there's like three and a half to four hours of no more. There's like five hours of content on here. So if you're because there's a whole feature commentary with Ryan Johnson, which I mean, I loved The Last Jedi anyway. But if you if you disagreed with his choices on some things, he really does a great job of explaining where he was coming from, why he's done things. The other thing was, um, you know, that night in preparation for it, I put on Force Awakens, and it was actually the first time I watched Force Awakens since Last Jedi came out, for whatever reason. And one of the really cool kind of conclusions that I jumped to that I wouldn't have noticed otherwise is Snoke in Force Awakens. They show him in this, you know, in this room, and he is giant. He is massive. And you kind of assume maybe he's a hologram, but... Anytime you see another character in hologram, they're that traditional Star Wars, like, blue and kind of glitchy uh, hologram that, that you're used to. 
And Snoke doesn't do that in that scene where he's this giant Snoke sitting in the room. And so now, in retrospect after Last Jedi, I'm pretty convinced that Snoke is sitting there doing that like forced astral projection that um, that Luke does at the end and that Rey and, uh, and Kylo Ren keep doing to each other um, throughout the film when they're being connected by Snoke. Um, and so that was something, because when I first saw Last Jedi, one of the things that kind of took me out of it was when you finally see Snoke in the room with everybody and he's like normal human proportions. I was like, I thought he was like a giant. Um, but you know, that's just kind of fun things that you find when you go back and rewatch after, after learning new things in the new saga. But he, he explains a lot of that stuff. Um, he also explains kind of where some of those other new force abilities come from. If they were previously mentioned in like other books or things like that, he's obviously a huge star Wars fan. Um, there is a full feature length. Uh, behind the scenes documentary and it's called like the director and the something i'm, I'm drawing a blank on the real type the, the director and the, the jedi so it, i mean so when it starts it starts all ryan johnson focused and i was kind of worried this is like a 90 minute um glorification piece about like what an amazing director he is but it's not that at all it really um dives into really every element of production it spends quite a bit of time um, on Carrie Fisher and and working with her and, and how sad it was losing her. And also, surprisingly, a significant amount of time on Mark Hamill um, being kind of uh, disagreeing with the direction that they've gone with Luke at the beginning and then just putting his trust in Ryan Johnson. And then at the end, talking about how much he, he thinks it was important that they, they tell this story like this for Luke and, and how he's on board with it now. Um, which was interesting. And, and, and kind of him coming to grips with not being the Luke Skywalker of this trilogy, um, which was, you know, difficult for him to, to understand. Um, you know, so it was just really great. There's a lot of deleted scenes um, and there's, there's the optional commentary. So really, you know, you're watching those, those all twice. If you're um, trying to experience everything there is to offer out on the set um, on this, uh, this release and uh, the deleted scenes are really interesting too. Um, I mean, obviously the last Jedi is a lot more comedic than some of the other star Wars entries and it has kind of a more quirky sense of humor. And there's one deleted scene when, uh, Finn or when, uh, yeah, when Finn and, and Rose and, um, what's his name from the guardians of the galaxy, the collector, um, are sneaking aboard the, uh, the first order ship um, where they get in an elevator and Finn is recognized by one of his former stormtrooper colleagues. And, you know, you think they're about to be done for. And then that stormtrooper is like, congrats on your promotion. Cause they're dressed like in, uh, you know, they, they put on other costumes to try and blend in. So he's dressed like someone who's in power. And uh, so and that was just a weird, cute, funny moment. There's another scene in, that was cut out of that bit where, they're in the elevator pushing a button fast, trying to close it before someone gets to them and it almost doesn't. Um, and even there's like a whole, I think, minute and a half. It's not really a deleted scene, but it's all these establishing shots from Contobite that didn't get used that show off the level of um, of practical costumes and creatures that were designed for that scene that never got kind of their their moment in the spotlight. And even that 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 feature length documentary talks a lot about the practical effects. And one of the things that was really cool um, and they didn't end up using it are those crystal dog creatures on crate um, in the film. They're all 
CG. They didn't end up using any of the practical effects, but they really tried hard to make these practical. And in addition to various types of puppets, they had also made suits for real dogs. And so they show footage of real dogs dressed up as those crystal wolves running around and uh, just the materials didn't look right. Uh, but the other thing that I was really shocked by is how often a Porg in a, in a shot is a practical effect, a Porg puppet um, live on the set. Because um, as you know, Porgs were originally designed to just disguise the puffin, puffins on the island, which I guess they only had two days to film island scenes. And so majority of those shots are um, not on that island and are on a different island in, uh, I think it was Ireland or Scotland. Wow, that's quite, yeah. uh, quite, quite an experience. Lot. It, it, it was a lot. It was a lot to absorb. Um, you know, in the, uh, we live on the, the West Coast, so the digital copy goes live at 9, or midnight on the, the East Coast, mid, 9 o'clock here. So I was up from about 9 p.m. to about 1.30 a.m. Uh, just trying to get through all the bonus features, plus sample enough of the video and all audio quality to be able to uh, let you know how that is, which it's great. Um, as great as a digital copy can be. And um, and so, yeah, I did watch about 10 minutes of the audio, of the music-only track. It's not the first time I've ever seen a, a music-only track. And in terms of, like, John Williams films, I believe there was one on the 20th anniversary DVD release of E.T., um, which was actually really cool because that one was – I think they had a music-only track, and then they also had, from the premiere of the 20th anniversary version, a live-conducted um, – John Williams score, which was a neat uh, audio option. So now that we got Star Wars, just one plug. Uh, at some point when this is posted, we'll be in the midst of Mouse Madness, where we're celebrating 10, 10th anniversary of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So get ready for Avengers Infinity War. And uh, speaking we will... of Mouse Madness, book your trips through Mouse Fan Travel. I was just going to go there, too, because we're also – it's I don't know. We're just trying to get in the vibe of it. Where if, um, we have Pixar Fest starting in a couple weeks, and then we got uh, Toy Story Land and uh, Pixar Pier. And so you know, now's a great time. Come to Disney before next year when it gets nuts with Star Wars and, um, and enjoy uh, the Pixar festivities. And uh, – you know, you, there's no better people than Mouse Fan Travel. They might even give you a hug. Um, so that's our show. Any, have anybody you ever, got anything else they want to share before we sign off? I just want to know, have you ever gotten a, a, hug, a hug from Mouse Fan Travel? I got a free pop no, but, socket. Is that the same thing? What's that? I said I got a free pop socket and some mints. Does that count? Ooh. I don't even know what a pop socket is, but it sounds fun. It goes on the back of your phone. makes it easier to, like, Oh, is that the thing and... that oh, makes... stands up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I finally, quote, cut the cord, which isn't really cutting the cord because I still need internet. But uh, I went to turn in my cable boxes, and they were all there on their phone instead of helping me cancel my service. <laughs> Who And which, which company was this? This was Comcast. Uh. So I will have to say, though, um, you know, since Comcast owns Universal, I was pleasantly surprised when I walked into the Comcast store and instead of showing Secret Life of Dogs or Minion movie, they were showing Coco. Oh, yeah. 
That's what's up. So anyway, thanks guys. Um, we should have some. I think our next episode we should have someone from Mouse Fan Travel kind of previewing uh, all the fun ways you can go on a Disney vacation in the next uh, year or so. So we'll have some fun with that. And uh, thanks so much. Don't forget to vote in Mouse Madness. And we'll see you later. Vote for Captain America.